Uh, well, we've been mentioning that uh, Rabbi Gertzlin will join us. I didn't realize we have the added benefit, Baruch Hashem, of uh, speaking with his wife as well. His wife, of course, the uh, oldest child of Rebetz and Jungreis, and she's going to join in on the conversation in this uh, uh, really unique discussion about such a unique and amazing individual. Um, I mentioned to this audience, I mentioned to you a couple times this week, uh, for those of you too young to um, remember uh, who Rebetz and Jungreis was, uh, or had never, you know, heard of her involvement in so many incredible uh, chasadim and uh, important functions in the Jewish world, and I mean the world, the globe. Um, at one time, her name was as common in the Jewish community as some of, and I know that some people won't like me saying this, but it's 100% true, as common as some of the uh, Torah giants and as uh, some of the major community leaders that were really, really well known. And um, all you had to do was say the Rebetzin or Rebetzin Young Grice, and everybody, young and old, knew exactly who you were talking about. So with all that in mind and that perspective, uh, we have a brand new book from Artscroll. Uh, you can go to artscroll.com. With our promo code, you can enjoy a 15% discount. The promo code is RADIO. And it's a 600-page book called The Rebetzin, the story of Rebetzin Esther Jungreis, her life, her vision, her legacy. Esther Jungreis was a young Holocaust survivor who became a friend, advisor, confidant, Torah teacher, and often even a surrogate mother to thousands, singles and families, prime ministers, presidents, and prisoners, and soldiers and spiritual seekers throughout the world. A pioneer in Jewish outreach and the founder of Hineni, she made history in Madison Square Garden where she proved that Torah could interest, engage, and energize all Jews through her newspaper columns television programs, best-selling books, and standing-room-only speeches. She ignited the pintaliyid that lies within every Jew. With the, the book is written, by the way, by Rabbi Nachman Seltzer, very well-known author in the uh, in the Jewish world in this genre. Uh, with us live via telephone, um, a rabbi and Mrs. Gertzlin. Chaya Sara Jungreis Gertzlin is the oldest child of Robertson Jungreis, and of course our good friend Rabbi Shlomo Gertzlin has been uh, an amazing friend of ours for decades. And in fact, when I recalled through this whole exchange in preparing for today's interview that he is a member of the Jungreis family, it was even easier for me to uh, uh, to remember or to uh, understand uh, just how um, uh, inviting and close Rabbi Gertzlin is with the entire Jewish community. Uh, anybody who is uh, um, anybody... Um, in the in the Jewish world, from right to left, up and down, as I like to say, uh, Rabbi and uh, Mrs. Gertzelin, good morning and welcome to JM in the AM. Good morning, Achlam. It's really, really such a pleasure to be back on the show. Uh, you continue to do amazing things for the community, and uh, really looking forward to this discussion this morning about, uh, as you so nicely put it, an incredible, incredible book that just came out. Yeah, it really is amazing. And uh, Mrs. Gertzlin, welcome to you as well. Thank you, thank you. Good morning. A pleasure to be here. I uh, I, I got to ask you, <laughs> you know, it's funny because when this project was given to Rabbi Nachman Seltzer, and I don't know how author, I'm not an author, so I don't know how authors generally, um, uh, you know, treat the first couple of weeks of a project, but the enormity of this project is is overwhelming. The enormity of the project is intimidating, frankly. And by the way, the proof is in the 600 pages. Did, you, did both of you have confidence that, this, that, that he was the right author for this and that he did a proper job 
in terms of telling the story of Rebbitz and Jungreis? Malcolm, first of all, don't cheat your audience out of 50 pages. The book is 650 pages. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, 660 to be exact. There you go. Uh, with, with hundreds of pictures. But you, you really raised a, a, an amazing point. Uh, we, we needed, this is not your typical biography. Uh, we needed to find uh, someone who, first of all, Rabbi Seltzer had an amazing passion for this book from the minute we first met him. An amazing passion. We met him in Eretz Yisrael. My wife and I actually were in Eretz Yisrael. We met him there. And just to see the excitement, as, by the way, was the passion of everyone at Art School. I mean, they were just, they, they pushed us. Like, you, you can't imagine how they pushed us to just move on it and move on it and move on it. And, um, you know, my wife spent a lot of time with, uh, with Rabbi Seltzer. And I think that he, he really was the perfect person to, to, to write this book. He, he felt the essence of our mother, he understood her passion, her drive, her dreams, her vision. And even though he personally never met her, he somehow understood her. And he wrote beautifully. He interviewed over 100 people for this, all people whose lives were touched by my mother's words and, and transformed their lives as a result. You know, uh... <laughs> And I'm sure, Mrs. Gertzlin, uh, you've heard this from a million people. But as you were sitting around your Shabbos table as a kid, listening to your amazing parents, and we should mention, of course, that your your father, you know, great in his own right, to say the least, uh, you know that we, in our generation, at our Shabbos table, your mother was mentioned many, many times. Whether it was, you know, what would Rebbitson Young Grice say, or someone better write a letter to Rebbitson Young Grice to get an answer, or what did she say in the Jewish press that, you know, answers the question that just been brought up, and obviously, you know, a million other ways. I, I, I guess that you, that you were aware of the fact that a lot of Friday night meals around the world were going on with your family in mind. A hundred percent, and it's so interesting that you say this. One of the people who we interviewed. I had no idea, but said their first connection to anything Yiddishkeit, anything Jewish, was at Friday night tables. Their mother would open up the Jewish press, and yeah. that was the Dvar Torah for the table. <laughs> Unbelievable. It was a different world then, uh, Nachum. Oh, yeah. There wasn't all the media we have today. Yep. And, you know, there's a, there's a rabbi in Chicago very, very much involved in Kirov and came from a very, very... Um, I, well, let's just put a traditional background. Right. No connection to Yiddishkeit, very little connection to Yiddishkeit. And his mother kind of got, got turned on a little bit, and she, she, she educated the whole family by, by bringing the Rebetzin's columns to the Shabbos table. And he, he wrote in this book that, you know, the Rebetzin, all my grandchildren, all my great-grandchildren, he's already someone in the 70s and 80s, it was maybe closer to 80, all my children, grandchildren, the Rebetzin is their bubby. And, and and this is true of thousands of people around the world. Yeah, and, and, and what is it, though? I mean, look, both of you, you know, grew up in the Jewish community, and as you described, Rabbi Gertzlin, obviously very different than today. You know, there were uh, dominant media uh, sources, um, you know, unlike today when there's so many um, that are available to people. Everyone's got their own platform. Um, what was, I mean, any, you know, there were a lot of articles in the Jewish press. There were a lot of personalities in general 
you know, writing stuff in a lot of manuals, journals, and newspapers and magazines in the Jewish community. You know, at one time, right here in this neighborhood, there were there were eleven Yiddish newspapers. So it's not like it was unique that you know that that somebody in the Jewish world wanted to communicate through writing articles. What was it about her, both in the spoken and written word, that would envelop people, that would enthrall them? And I don't even know if there's an answer to this question, but I'm desperate to know the answer. What was what was the formula? that she had that really nobody could match. I, I, I believe it was a certain love for every single Jewish person, no matter who he was, where he was in life. My mother always saw that pintalayid in everybody. She only saw the good in everybody. And it came forth in her writing. And, you know, you were speaking about the Friday night table. It wasn't just people from afar or more secular or not connected. I remember as a young girl, I'd have friends come over Friday night. And somehow always the Holocaust came to the discussion. And one of my friends said to me, you know, you're so lucky Your mother brings up the war, the Holocaust. She speaks about our people, our nation. It was a subject that was never spoken about in her own home, even though she was a child of Holocaust survivors. Mm -hmm. And I I, I think um, my mother just knew how to reach every single neshama, no matter who or what. And by the way, we should point out, she was not an intimidating figure. She was not five feet tall, correct? She was a a petite woman, (laughs) but she had the most amazing strength. And she would work from early morning to late night. I remember at times she'd be at the Hineni building. We have a building on Manhattan's west side. And people would come to her shiurim and then come to her with questions, they'd come for brachas, for advice, and she would stay till 2, 3 in the morning, never letting anybody who came go away without time. And she just drove and drove and drove herself. The book is called The Rebbitson. By the way, you know, you just pointed out about the building on the Upper West Side. One of the benefits of reading this book is that her, her star was so, you know, was such, you know, was shining so brightly in the 1970s when, again, she was, you know, the Rebbitson, and everyone knew exactly who you were talking about when you mentioned the Rebbitson, uh, that many of us didn't realize that even as time went on, even in the later years of her life, Hineni and what she's been, what she had been doing and continued to do was as strong as ever, that there was still between Shabbos, Yontif, regular Shiurim during the week, etc., still massive, massive crowds coming, to enjoy what she had to say, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I didn't realize that. I thought that you know, sort of her popularity hit a peak that was, you know, to be envied by anybody. Nachum, let me tell you that even up to this past year, and every year, even in her in her later life, when she and when she wasn't that well, obviously, we have. Uh, you mentioned all the different programs. We have an amazing Rosh Hashanah and Kippur program um, on. Uh, we have it at the Essex House in Manhattan. We have three to four hundred people that come there. Most of them, most of them, let's call them not yet fully observant, 
but they come there and they sit and they daven and they pour out their hearts to Hashem. They don't look at their watch. They don't, you know, shuffle their feet. They, they, they're, they're just inspired by, 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 by even by the other people who are there. Everybody's a seeker. Everyone is coming there. Everybody wants to, uh, wants to take something away from, from the Yom Um Well, what That's- happened? Did she give seminars on how to do this? Like, is that the legacy that she left? Uh, absolutely. She, uh, she had, we had ongoing seminars, ongoing classes. My, my, my wife, her sister, her brothers, they're, they're doing an amazing job of teaching a whole slew of classes. Um, and um, it's continuing, obviously, to reach uh, a new generation. We have now Hineni Next, uh, which is reaching the children of some of the people of, of our age um, who, are, who are in public schools, right. who, who want to learn about Shabbos, who want to learn about about the Amantayvim, we want to learn about different kashas, about mitzvahs. So, you know, we're even reaching out now to the next generation because obviously that's, that was the most important legacy that, that I think the Rebetzin left us, that, you know, we need to make sure this, this Jewish continuity. When she came here to America, she was a young girl, and she had obviously suffered through the Holocaust. But she came here and saw what was going on to the American Jewish community and it just shook her to the core. And from a young girl of 10 or 11 years old, she just started inviting the neighborhood kids over to her parents' house on Friday night for a Shabbos meal. You know, when, when they came trick-or-treating, she would, she'd, uh, she'd teach the kids how to make a bracha. <laughs> uh, it was a Jewish kids who were trick-or-treating, mind <laughs> you. Got it. So, so that was the era. But she just she said, we can't allow the spiritual holocaust to, to the spiritual assimilation to become another holocaust here and destroy more Jews than got destroyed in Europe. Speaking this was a passion. This was really a passion. It comes out so well in the story. This is not just a bio of her own life. This is, there's, uh, you've seen the book, Nachum. It's dozens of stories yeah. of people telling, telling over their own experiences, their own, how they, were, how they felt lost, how they felt depressed, how they felt there was no purpose in life, no meaning in life. And the Rebetzin, as my wife said, was able to just bring it out and say there's, there's, no, there's no such thing as a lost Jew. Every Jew just has to be touched and reached and, and, and brought back. Uh, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app, Mrs. Chaya Sarah Gertzlin, Rabbi Shlomo Gertzlin, with us live via telephone, speaking about uh, their mother, the Rebetzin, the story of Rebetzin Esther Jungreis, her life, her vision, her legacy. Rabbi Nachman Seltzer has written the book. It's an Art Scroll book, artscroll.com. Enjoy 15% off with promo code RADIO. You will find this inspiring, I can tell you that much. Um, all right, two stories. First of all, the L.A. story, I, I think, sums up uh, not only Rebetzin Jungreis's uh, approach to Kiruv, uh, but I think it sums up uh, her as an example to every person involved in Kiruv since she started doing it. And that basically is that if you, if, if, you, if you prove to someone and show them that you're concerned about them, that you really do have a love for them because they are a fellow Jew, that, that is the best avenue for them to come back to tradition. Would you agree? A hundred percent. To the point that my mother would bring people into our home. And as you, as you said with the L.A. story, uh, that was a story where my mother spoke um, at a, a large hall, a convention center, and there was a cult member there. And my mother 
through repeated times, had Hatzlacha, and that girl came home with us. And I came home from school, and there she was in my room, and she stayed for two years. And Baruch Hashem, today she's married with children and grandchildren, and all, all living a Torah life. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. The other thing I must mention, <laughs> you know, all of us know Roy Newberger, and he's been on this show a lot of times. <laughs> and he has unabashedly described his family's attitude toward Judaism and Yom Kippur, specifically when he was growing up. And both of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was not a positive attitude. Sure. And, <laughs> and uh, in fact, I think you know, there's a story in the book that, that uh, you or by Gertzlin were involved with where you actually blew chauffeur for his close to 100-year-old father. Right, right. And, and, right. I, and I think Roy told us once on the air, if I'm not mistaken, that his father actually never put on fill until the age of 100, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Well, his father was a product of the uh, the ethical culture generation, the uh, the German uh, influx here that came here in the early 1900s, uh, and uh, you know was what can we say? He was a he was a wonderful, wonderful Jew, uh, uh, an amazing Jew, but somebody who just uh, was completely estranged from Yiddishkeit. I mean, had no clue what. What is, that there was even a Shabbos. Forget about what a right. Shabbos meant. It was completely unaware. It's not unaware, like he was against unaware. it. He was and, unaware and, of it. And, and when I did, as you mentioned, when I did go to blow Schaefer for him, I think the first time uh, he was about 96 years old. Wow. And, and, and uh, he actually had an apartment in the same building where we were having our Rosh Hashanah uh, services. Mm-hmm. So we walked up to his apartment, and, 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 and he actually... He, he asked me to blow more. He, he asked me to blow more. He said, please blow some more. 30 tears is not enough. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and let me tell you something, uh, Nachum, just, just to his credit, uh, you know, he was a good person. He supported, as you know, yep. Roy, of course, today. 100%. Roy, Roy has children that yep. learned in Brisk yep. and learned in Long Beach, yep. and, and they're all married, B'nai Tyra, and his father, Roy's father, supported them. And I, I think that was the, the reason why he had such tremendous arichas yamim. I mean, he, the man yeah. lived to 107 years old. No question about it. Imagine, so, so ma- everyone imagine. has, has, has and, and that was really the, the, the Milo of the Rebetzin. She, she always just wanted to look in the good of a person, and the good that he was maybe indirectly, and maybe not even right. fully recognized. But, to, but, but to at me, the end of the day, supporting uh, a, a Torah lifestyle for his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and the man had a Rishas Yamam, 107 years old. Right, but to me, the story there is that, you know, Roy and his wife got married before any of this happened. And usually, you know how it is, single people, you know, who are a little bit less, you know, entrenched in their in their life, meaning younger singles, you know, they'll they'll be open to change, they'll explore, you know how it is in life. Once you're married and you have a partner, usually, you know, you 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 set yourself up, you know, for the path you'd like to take. The two of them together were inspired by your mother to to make changes in their life, and I and I thought that was somewhat unique. Yes, and I, I would also like to bring out that it's not just troubled people that he mainly reaches out to. There are many people, mainstream America, with working good professional jobs, highly educated, that just want that connection to Hashem, that connection to God, and my mother was able to, to reach out to them and to make that connection for them, to help them make that connection. Yeah. Uh, really amazing. Uh, you, know, there's, you know, there's a story in the book about a woman who also grew up completely uh, devoid of any Yiddishkeit, 
and her husband happened to be a manager at one of the large insurance companies in New York, where life insurance companies, where they have a lot of a lot of from and even Hasidic brokers. Right. And they kept on saying, "Come for a Shabbos, come for a Shabbos, come for a Shabbos." Finally, they agreed. They went to Borough Park for a Shabbos. Totally, totally secular, having no idea what anything was with Yiddishkeit. The woman in the house there, uh, Hasidish a woman, she actually gave this woman a copy of my mother-in-law's book and uh, one of the previous books, uh, either it was Life as a Test or Committed Life, and she said that she couldn't put the book down a whole night, all Friday night. She sat by the light of the bathroom reading the book because she saw something was just touching her, and that was the beginning of her complete transformation coming back to, uh, to, to Hashem. So there's so many ways, you know, there, there's so many paths, uh, but I think, but I think uh, they, they all come back to, as, as, as Chaisara said, they all come back to uh, the, the, the positive attitude of the Rebetzin, just always embracing with warmth, with love, never, never pushing anyone away, never criticizing anyone. Uh, really a, a lesson for all of us. I think it's uh, the, the inspiration of this book to see how the, you know, the Rebetzin always had the right words, the right words for, for anyone that came to her with any kind of a, uh, an issue or discussion that they wanted to have. And I think that was, that was why, as you, as you said earlier, she, was just, she, she just had her success. She just touched people, each and what they needed. Just incredible. And we'll talk about Madison Square Garden in a minute. I know that people are anxious for me to get to that. <laughs> uh, the book is called The Rebetzin. Um, but but I have to before I get to the garden and and w- what was a transformative event and obviously the uh, event that uh, defined for a lot of people Rebetzin Youngrice's career. Um, uh, Chayasara, I must ask you. You know, I went to college with uh, a friend of mine. You know, a few years back, obviously, and uh, he got engaged. And I said to him, "Oh, you know, how'd you meet the girl? You know, like you know, you always ask somebody where's she from, how'd you meet, who's the shotgun, etc." And he said that he sent a letter. To Rebetzin Youngrice, frustrated that he can't get married, that he's trying, you know, he's dating three, four years, whatever the case is, and he hasn't been able to find the right one. And and she then suggested someone for him to date, and that is who he ended up marrying. Amazing. How many t- And I, I bet you if I tell you the name, you'll know exactly who it is. How many times has that type of story happened? Hundreds and hundreds of times, and so many times my mother wasn't even aware of what happened at the final end. <laughs> but she, we used to have Hineni uh, classes where so many hundreds have met, and Baruch Hashem have made beautiful families. Uh, my mother would love, love making Shidduchim. In fact, my, my father was a partner with, this on, with my mother on this endeavor, and when my father was so, so ill, he was suffering, he was in Sloan Kettering, and he came out of surgery, his first surgery, very weak, and finally the doctors let my mother into recovery. And my mother asked him, how are you doing? And he said, Let's talk tachlis. There's a doctor here, oh. a nice single Jewish boy. Find him a shidduch. So my, this was my parents' life, always thinking of others. And I think my mother got a lot of it from my grandparents. Right. From the time that she was a little girl, 
My, my grandparents, my grandfather was involved in Kirov even in Hungary. So it wasn't something that was new or strange to her. And then when they came to the United States, just starting out with much difficulty and settled in East Flatbush, then it, my grandfather also went out on the streets with my mother and would have little candies in his pocket. And he'd ask the children, what's your Jewish name? And what's, let's make a bracha. Children who didn't even know what their name was mm-hmm. went to find out. He taught them how to make brachas. They brought them into their home. And my mother just grew up always seeing a life of caring and loving from, for others from the time that she was a child. And it became so much part of her life. That was really the essence of her life. Unbelievable. You know, when you talk about Shaduchim, Nachum, uh, when, my, when the Rebetzin, the last few weeks of her life, she was at Maimonides Hospital. And as you can imagine, Maimonides, they have a, quite a, a large number from nurses. And there was one particular nurse who was tending to my mother-in-law, and she would ask, she was very, very weak. This is literally the last few days of her life. And she asked her for a bracha. She was also having difficulty with Shaduchim. So she asked my mother-in-law to give her a bracha. And from her sickbed, my mother-in-law gave her a bracha that she should meet the right chassan. But wouldn't you know it that on the day of the shloshim, we had a shloshim at Fifth Avenue Synagogue, on the day of the shloshim, she called the family. She said, I got engaged. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Rabbi Gertzlin, um, what kind of superstar were you when people found out you were dating Rabbi Sinyon Grice's daughter? you're going back a few years that that was your that uh, was your first taste of celebrity huh i I will (laughs) tell you that i was always treated as a son never as a son-in-law um yeah by the way i I, I don't know if you heard my comments but but once i remembered that you're a young guy, so to speak, meaning that you're part of the family, right. th- th- then, then it was even more clear to me why you are as uh, generous and open and friendly to everyone in our community, uh, no matter what their background yeah, is. Yeah, it, it definitely changed me a little bit. My wife will be the first one to tell you that. <laughs> My parents put him through training. It, it, def- <laughs> it definitely changed me. It, it definitely... Uh, you know, seeing uh, what my, my, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law and the whole family and the grandparents were doing uh, ha- has an impact on everyone and had an impact on me, too. All right, and I won't dwell on this, but I'm just curious. Someone suggested the two of you go out, or it was more complicated than that, or it was regular re- regular dating scene? It was actually actually a, um interesting situation. My, uh, my grandfather, uh, yeah. actually, Zayda, my mother's father, I, I, I was... At the ripe old age of 19, <laughs> but they just started getting nervous. Wow. What will be with Chayasara? And he came up with this wonderful idea that I should be his driver. And whenever there's a simcha, I should take Zayda to the simcha. And he'll introduce me to everyone there and we'll find a shidduch. And... I must I honestly admit I fetched a little, but my mother said, keyboard of the aim, Zayda wants you to do that, and you're doing it. And even though I was doing seminary in the morning and teaching in the afternoon in Brooklyn College at night, if there was a simcha that was Zayda wanted to go to, we fit it in. Wow. And one of those simchas was a bar mitzvah in Williamsburg. 
And I said, uh, Williamsburg. Who in the world is in Williamsburg for me? <laughs> so I said, I don't know about this Williamsburg Simcha. It was a relative Simcha, and my mother just said again, keep it of the aim. Zeta wants you to take him. Nachum, you'll remember there was a rabbi in Williamsburg, um, um, Rabbi Weinberger from the Young Israel. Sure. Yeah, they used to call him Mickey Weinberger. Right. Uh, right, uh, Bernard Weinberger. So he... He was very good friends with the family, and he happened to have been at the Simcha also. Unbelievable. And I guess uh, that's uh, the rest of history. The rest of history. was someone from our family, yeah. Yeah. a cousin, and they made the connection. Very, very cool. All right, we got to talk about the garden. Now, I know it's inappropriate, Chayasara, to especially publicly to ask ages, but just generally speaking, because to me, I think it's important to the story. I mean, are you a- around teenage age when this garden thing oh, takes place? No secrets. I was um, in 11th grade. Oh, so you're literally a high schooler as this is happening. Now, what's amazing, and again, people who've, who don't know the Rebison Jungreis story, this when she went to the Felt Forum at Madison Square Garden, this is what got all the typical Jewish families around the country and around the world, you know, uh, enthralled with what, she's, what she has been able to accomplish. I, like everybody else, figured that she was at such a height of popularity and and you know and and uh, and everybody was following Robertson Jungreis that you know she felt confident that she could sell out the you know the felt form at Madison Square Garden but if you read the book it doesn't seem like she was 100% confident that people would show up that night yeah i, I there's no question about it. if you read the book i think uh uh, it was a it was a, a gamble. It was a, it was a risk, uh, but this was something that she was committed to doing uh, at that time. Bar Hashem, she found someone who was able to to back her on it financially. Because in those days, you're talking about yeah. the 70s. It wasn't it wasn't easy to do that type of thing, especially when when you were you know you're doing this on your own and you wanted not to charge people to come into the garden. So it, it was definitely a risk, and I think the kids, uh, you know, my wife would, also, would tell me sometimes, you know, the kids would say, Ma, you sure you want to do this? I mean, you know, you talk about thousands of people. It was, this, was, this was simply never done before. I mean, Nachum, you know, Baruch Hashem today, yeah. uh, from events can fill up uh, MetLife Stadium. You know, but in those days, uh, this, was not, uh, this was not something that had ever been done before, to my knowledge. I don't think anybody had ever had a Jewish event. It was event. the first. And certainly it was risky, and, and I think... Uh, until until the Rebbitson actually walked out onto that stage and saw uh, the, the, the the just the the, the throngs of people, uh, there weren't even enough seats. People were sitting on the floors. People were sitting on the steps. It was it was, but it was. Uh, I, I think there had to be some um, some doubt uh, that is this going to work? Yeah, but when I don't. you do when you right. do when you do it Hashem Shemayim, <laughs> right. uh, the rest the rest uh, falls into place. By the way, when <laughs> when when I read in the book. That you know that they that she was begging the officials of Madison Square Garden to let the overflow crowd come in, and of course they would say even even you know pre nine eleven that they would say no to things like that in those venues. You know we've we've seen that a million times at different events. Um, somehow she was able to convince them, and I'm saying to myself, I wonder if that's an exaggeration. And then you guys have pictures in the book of people actually sitting on the floor in front of the stage as she's speaking. Right, a lot of the pictures in the book uh, were put there really to validate yeah. a lot of what's been going on what's written about in the book and clearly yes there was there was uh, that story happened i heard it from her many times 
and she was able to, even though the, the manager of the garden was not a Jew, right. she was just, he was a religious person, right. and she was able to touch him in a way that mm. you, know, you, you can't deprive people from listening to the message of God. And by the way, I loved how Rav Henkin, the Rav, Rav Moshe, reacted to her when she told them about this event and the suggestions they made and the brachas they gave. It was obvious, even to the Gedolei Torah, you know, because they, they, they have an insight very often into people. It was obvious that this, as you just said, was Hashem Shemaim. It was obvious that they saw in her that this was so sincere that, they deserved all, that she deserved all the accolades and brachas they can give her. So my mother would often tell us how she would not want to go venture on such an endeavor without brachas from the gedolim. So my grandfather, Zayda, went with her. He accompanied her to Rav Henkin, as you said, and the Satmar Rebbe. Oh, right, Satmar Rebbe also, right. Yes, and Rav Moshe, and um, And the Rav Salavajic, right. And you know what? Everyone said there was such a need, and they all gave brachas. Unbelievable. Uh, what do you remember about that night? You just told us you were in high school. What do you remember about that night? I remember sitting down, watching my mother come out, and I was one of those who was on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, I can't believe this is my mother. <laughs> I was so, so proud. And I just looked around, and that amazing crowd, and you saw people crying. And I myself, as many times as I would hear my mother speak, I would just start, those eyes would fill up with tears, and I would start crying. And you could hear the same story again and again, and each time it would touch the neshama. And it wasn't just me, it was everybody in the room. And we have pictures of this also in the book, of people sitting there with tissues to their faces. It's just my mother really sparked that, as she always used to say, that pencil of yeeds. She started the Madison Square Garden. In fact, that's the summer a year before. My mother was speaking in the Pineview Hotel, and uh, it was to a group of college youth. And she was speaking about how she survived the physical holocaust of Europe only to come here and witness what she's afraid is a spiritual holocaust. And someone called that, well, Rebitson, what would you do? And she said, well, if I had the resources, I would take a big convention center like Madison Square Garden, and I would gather (laughs) all the Jewish people together, Mm -hmm. and I would say, it's time to say Hineni to Hashem, Hineni to God, Hashem, here I am to serve you, to to be a Jew, and to wake up that little flame inside. And I remember my mother saying, and if you will it, that little spark could become a flame from which the words Hineni, here am I, O God, to serve you, will be ignited. And, And after Shabbos, it was my brother's bar mitzvah the following week, mm-hmm. and an announcement was made. The Rebbitson will be speaking in Madison Square Garden, and my mother didn't even know what hit her. 
But it started, that started the ball rolling, and people just came over to my parents' home that evening and started planning. Yes, we got to do this in Madison Square Garden. And until she got on stage, she said she's still... The reason I pointed out is because all of us who have dreams, who have aspirations, who feel that we, that we can accomplish, you know, either a project or, you know, something of significance... You know, when we know that even Rebetzin Jungreis had her doubts till she got on stage, that's very helpful because most people think that she had, you know. No, but what kept her, she did, she did, and she did have challenges in life. But I think what kept her going was, first of all, she would always turn to her sitter and to Helen. Right. She was a very big daviner. Before every speech, she would say to herself, Hashem, Hashem, please help me find the right words to say how to reach people. And also, she had a lot of zuchos avos. And she would always speak about the Zaydas from generations ago in Hungary. Uh, We're from the family of the Cengara, from Harab Asher Anshul, Young Rice, uh, and she always felt those brachas were with her. Your bo- your parents, you know, your parents were actually both Young Rices, right? They were correct, th- right. correct. My parents were a third cousin. Right. You, you know what's amazing? She never, never spoke from notes. That's what's amazing. It is incredible, and <laughs> as- I, mean, I mean, I I was at dozens and dozens of our speeches over the years, uh, Yumtov programs, other times. I never had a piece of paper in front of her. Forget about a whole written speech. Right. She didn't even have like a little index card of notes. Nothing. She, she also just, she also knew her stuff. All her psukim. Yeah, the psukim and, and, and the, and the pa- passages and from Talmud. And she able to quote. And I remember even when my mother was so sick, she still pushed herself to give classes, and she still remembered everything. And yeah. I was like, this is amazing. All right, we, uh, we've we done about 10% of what we should do, but I knew this would happen. This could be a six-hour interview easily, but we only have a couple of minutes left. It's called The Rebbits and the Story of Rebbits and Esther Jungreis. Uh, Rebbits and Chaya Sarah and Rabbi Shlomo Gertzelin are with us live via telephone. The book's available at Artscroll, artscroll.com. Use promo code RADIO for your 15% uh, gift for being a listener of the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, go to artsgirl.com. This is a book you will want to have and you'll want your sons and daughters to read. Uh, Chaya Sara, how, how, how does somebody travel as much as she did? She spoke in a million different cities, um, visited you know government officials in many different countries, including plenty in the United States and Israel, uh, was part of presidential commissions and committees for different uh, matters that did require travel, visited prisoners, female prisoners in prison in Israel, and and, and a hundred other categories I can go through. If people read the book, they'll see exactly what I mean. How, 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 how is it growing up in a household like that? We know we always discuss the challenges of you know parents who are on the road and what it's like for the kids. How would you describe what it's like being the daughter of Rebbe and Esther Younggrass? Very exciting, first of all. And when I would be a young girl and say, Chayisara Younggrass, I was always said, oh, the Rebbitson, is that your mother? And I'd be so excited and so proud to say <laughs> yes. So, h- however, I must say, first of all, when we were young, my mother always, always tried with the red eye to be back. She, from wherever she was, that one would be going off to 
school in the morning, she'd be there. Mm. Also, my parents were an amazing, amazing team. That my father, he was just also so, so proud of my mother. And not just proud, but he pushed her. In fact, it was my father who met with um, Rabbi Class and Irene Class in the old Pioneer Hotel. Right. And uh, just when Rabbi Class was starting the Jewish press, and he said, hmm, I think my wife could write a good article for you. And my father just always was proud. I remember times when we were in um, Eretz Yisrael. My mother was speaking in Eretz Yisrael, and she'd call home and say, what should I do? I, they want me to stay one more speech, two more speeches, another day. My father would say, of course, you have to stay. If people are ready to hear, you ha- people are ready to listen, you have to be there for them. So that was my father. My mother used to say that my father's name was Meshulam. And my mother would say, Meshulam means complete. Mm-hmm. And my father was very complete with himself. And because of that, he was so proud of my mother and proud of all her endeavors. Uh, where I remember my father always saying, and I am the husband of Rebetzin Esther Young Rice. Right. Now, how many men say that? <laughs> <laughs> so, he, that was amazing. Pressure, pressure. Uh, uh, another, another factor is my grandmother. We had a very strong family. And my grandmother would also, she'd come to our house when we were children once a week, and she'd be there to to babysit, to be there if my mother would be going out for a speech. She'd be there in the kitchen, and um, it, it's a strong family unit. Well, thank God. That's what, ha- that's what uh, makes for great families very, very often. Uh, the book is called The Rebetzin, the story of Rebetzin Esther Jungreis. I want to thank both uh, uh, Rebetzin Chaya Sara and Rabbi Shlomo Gertzelin. Um, Rebetzin is the uh, oldest child of uh, the Jungreises, Rabbi Meshulam and Rebetzin Esther Jungreis. The book is written by Rabbi Nachman Seltzer. You heard earlier what uh, our guest had to say about his uh, prolific experience in uh, writing this book. And um, we, we covered about 10%, everybody. If you you got to read the whole thing and uh, read about one of the most. You'll, you'll see, when you ask yourself what can one accomplish in life, you will be amazed at what one person like Rebetzin Jungreis, especially from her beginnings, was able to accomplish in life. Um, go to artscroll.com, artscroll.com. Enjoy your 15% discount if you use promo code radio. By the way, Rabbi Mrs. Gertzlin, I'm assuming there is there is another Esther Jungreis already. Is there a new generation with someone named for her or not? Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. There, there are a few already. There are a few. Uh, there, there actually is an Esther Jungreis. Oh, my uh, gosh. That's, there, that's a, pressure, uh, huh? That's a, pressure. Yep. A <laughs> grandchild, a grandchild, Esther Jungreis, a great-grandchild, actually. Wow. Uh, but there are other Esthers in the family, Baruch Hashem. Um, and um, there, and and not just that, people who who uh, the Rebetzin impacted in life. Um, I believe the first Esther that was named uh, just shortly after Apatira was somebody who was a student of hers, wow. somebody whose life she she turned around and named her own daughter Esther. Are there any uh, Kiruv superstars in the grandchildren generation? There, there are there. Are 
some that are involved in different ways. There's, uh, yes, I do have some nephews and nieces um, who are definitely involved. As, as I mentioned earlier, we have a program called Inani Next, right. which is led by, um, by my, uh, my sister-in-law's daughter, uh, my niece, um, Shane D. Eisenberg, who, by the way, married a, grand, a great-grandson of Rabbi Shafine, yeah, which is another story that we'll get to in the by, next 10%. By the, way, <laughs> by the way, now, now that you mention her, and of course it just struck me who it is, uh, she is regarded as a massive superstar. In fact, people have said to me that her husband's a superstar, but she's even greater. <laughs> so, yeah. So. yeah, yeah, she's 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 wonderful. <laughs> she's great. She has a good uh, power of, of of speech and of teaching. And um, we have I have some nephews. So yes, it is definitely coming down into the next generation as well. And uh, that's that's the Masara. That's the Masara. So. Unbelievable. Uh, I thank you both very, very much, and I'm going to continue to recommend to our listeners to get this and to uh, really enjoy it. Nahum, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having us, and keep up doing your great, great work. Look forward to speaking to you again. Much appreciated. Uh, Rabbi Shlomo Gertzelin, um, uh, Rebetzin Chaya Sarah uh, Gertzelin, uh, she is the daughter of Rebetzin Jungreis, and the book is called The Rebetzin. And I'm telling you, if you're not old enough to know this, the same way, and I know people are not going to be happy with me saying this, but the same way in that generation people would say Rav Misha and everybody knew exactly who you were talking about or the Rav and everyone knew exactly who you were talking about. When you said the Rebetzin, everybody knew you were talking about Rebetzin Young Grice. Simple as that. Anyway, pick up the book, artscroll.com, promo code radio, and enjoy. And my thanks to our friends at Artscroll for uh, helping us arrange this conversation about such an amazing and incredible woman. 8.30 in the morning, it's JM in the AM as we continue. By the way, there's only one way to wrap up this conversation because you'll read it in the book. Um, this song by Mordechai Ben David was actually done, uh, written, and performed in honor of Rebetzin Young Grice and the Hineni organization. And, uh, of course, many, many years later, Mordechai Ben David was a major superstar. But this is, uh, this is uh, from a very, very, uh, very early MBD. Here it is at JM in the AM.
Bye. 